I want to welcome you to Canyon Creek Church. All of you that are listening to this podcast, that are watching online, uh, we are continuing a series that's called Born for This. Now, uh, most of us would agree that we are over-inundated with news. You, you can't go anywhere without hearing the news. You hear the news in print, you hear the news on TV, you hear the news via the internet. We see news all the time. And to be honest, most of it's bad news. So it, it seems like everywhere we go, all we get is bad news. Every single day, bad news. The sun can be shining, the birds can be chirping, there can be rainbows, it can be the most beautiful setting in the world, and all we hear is bad news. Or if we don't hear bad news, in the words of Donald Trump, all we hear is fake news. So it's bad news, fake news, bad news, fake news. And have you realized that bad news versus fake news, it really boils down to a person's perspective on how they hear that news? Like what could be Good news for somebody is bad news for somebody else. And what could be bad news for somebody is fake news for someone else. But with all of this bad news we hear about and all this fake news we hear about, my question for you is, what about good news? Do you realize that you and I have good news? Like that, that video that you just watched, do you realize he's my king, he's your king. That's not supposed to be a bad thing. That is supposed to be good news. Paul said it this way. He said, let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. He said, you welcomed it then and you now stand firm in it. This good news. You know that this book is good news. 35 different times in the Gospels, Jesus tries to explain the good news. There are 19 individual verses in the Bible that proclaim this good news. In a world full of either bad news or fake news, you and I need to share the good news. We're in the middle of this series, Born for This. And we've talked about the different things that God has created us for. That you are created for a purpose. That God has something great in store for you. And so far we've talked about you were born to connect with Jesus. We've talked about the fact that you were born to have a passion for people. And last week we talked about the fact that you were born to live a visionary life. And today, I want to talk to you about the next thing that you were born for. And I believe that you were born to share your story. That you need to embrace the journey of your life and share your story. I want to ask everyone, if you would do me a favor, bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Everyone say, Dear Jesus, speak to my heart, change my life, 
In Jesus' name, amen. Church, in a world that's full of bad news and fake news, you and I need to make it a priority to share our good news. That we need to embrace our personal journey. That uh, the journey that you're on, it's not an accident. The ups aren't uh, a just blessing and the downs aren't just mistakes. It's a part of life. You have ups and downs. You have mountains and valleys. You have good times and bad times. You have victories and challenges. It's your story with Jesus. It is your journey and you were born to share your story. You were born to live your life and share your story, share the good news of Jesus intersecting your life and changing your life. Peter said it this way. He said, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, there's a couple things in that verse that we get hung up on. Part of it is um, making a defense for the gospel. So we live in a very politically correct culture where if you have to defend yourself, immediately when you have to defend yourself, you're wrong. They were addressing a culture that was very linear in its thinking. It was very analytical, and you would present a very articulated argument for something, someone would step back, evaluate that argument, and if they agreed with it, they would accept it or they would deny it. So when Peter was sharing the word defense, it fit that culture. But don't get hung up on that word defense. Basically, Peter is saying you should be prepared at all times to share your story because he goes on and he says you need to share the reason that you have a hope-filled life. You see, in a world full of bad news or fake news, why is it you, as a follower of Jesus, you look ahead to the future and you look at your life not viewing everything through this lens of doom and gloom, but instead you have hope. And Peter is saying, at any moment, you need to be able to share with people why you view the world differently. While... Everybody views everything as bad news. You look at life through a lens of good news, of hope. And then he goes on and he says, and when you share this, and I like this part, he says you need to do it with gentleness and respect. I think that is a verse that whenever I go to Husky games and I see these guys with these big John 316 signs and these megaphones and they're basically you know, telling everybody that they need to repent now, they need to turn from their sins now. Now, they are actually doing what they're born to do. They're sharing their story, but they are not adhering the advice of Peter, who said you need to share it with gentleness and respect. Because uh, no one responds to that type of story sharing. But Peter says, you need to be ready at any time to share your story. You need to embrace your journey. You need to share your story. And I will tell you, in, in a world full of negativity, in a world that's fully divisive, in this politically correct culture that we live in, and 
we know that we have an election that's coming in less than two weeks, and that election is going to be very divisive. And it is possible that as a result of that election, um, we might have the Democrats in Congress and the Republicans in Senate and in the White House, and we basically could have the potential for political disagreements that are intense for the next two years in a world where you and I are inundated with all the bad news or we're inundated with the fake news, you and I need to do our part in sharing the good news. And I'll tell you what good news does. Good news is like dropping a stone into water. It begins to ripple out. So if I share the good news of my life and my story, you share the good news of your life and your story, and everyone in our church and people in other churches are just sharing the good news of their story. It's like all of these ripples that begin to affect culture and it affects society and all of a sudden this spirit of negativity that has consumed our country can slowly change because instead of people focusing on all the doom and gloom people start talking about what could be the possibilities the hope for the future i'm telling you church the good news that jesus has done in your life needs to be shared with other people In fact, I would go on and I would even say this, that I think every single person who is a follower of Jesus. So if you're here and you're listening to this and you have a relationship with Jesus, you consider yourself a Christ follower. This is for you. I think every one of us should be able to share our story in the moment in five minutes or less. That you were born to embrace your journey and share your story. That I think every one of us should be able to share our story of hope in five minutes or less. There is a study that was done by several universities that was led by Rutgers University. And it concluded that seven out of 10 Americans are worried about the future. That seven out of 10, so that means 70% of people are anxious, stressed out, viewing their future as if it's bad. Well, you and I know that we have a future that's full of hope. And when 70% of your friends and neighbors are viewing the future with angst, you and I need to make sure that we share our story of hope. Because we hold the keys to hope. We have the good news embrace your journey share your story the problem for people is i think every one of us we we want to share our faith we want to share our story the problem is we don't know how we don't know when and we don't know where we should do it so what we've done is we've taken this idea of sharing our testimony or talking about Jesus and we've made it like it's an assignment or we've made it something that is incredibly complicated, but it should be something that is very natural for you. It should be something that you are so used to talking about, that you're so used to being able to share the story of your life that you are literally just looking for the opening to be able to share it. I've said this many times, but literally who you are is uh, living proof that God will take a mess 
And out of that mess, he will bring a message. That literally, you and I are people that have experienced tests in life, but God has taken that test, and out of it, he has developed our testimony. But you and I just need to learn how to share it. Uh, one of the things that I want to tell you is, um, in my life, I, I, I look for opportunities to tell people my story. And so, um, because I'm so used to sharing my story, I'm just waiting for the opportunity to slide it into a conversation. And so I have done things very strategically that open up that conversation. One of the things that I do is I study for my sermons at Starbucks. So if you show up at a Starbucks during the week, usually between 6 to 10 o'clock in the morning, I will be at that Starbucks over by Qdoba, and I will have two Bibles and my computer and my notes and all of this around, and it is obvious to anyone who comes into that place this guy's studying the Bible, and almost daily when I do it, someone asks me about it. Just today, as I finished up writing this message, an Asian gal pulled me aside afterwards, and she said, were you reading the Bible? And so that opened up this, I'm the pastor of Canyon Creek, it opened up this entire opportunity for me to be able to share my story. So I'm just looking for opportunities to share the story. But the biggest thing that I started doing years ago is most of you know that I have an entire uh, half sleeve of tattoos on my arm. And my half sleeve literally tells the story of my spiritual journey. So oftentimes, whenever people see my tattoos, they'll say, what does that tattoo mean? What's the significance of that? And every time they ask, it gives me an invitation to share my story five minutes or less about my spiritual journey. So the issue really for you and I shouldn't be, how do we do it? It should be looking for the opportunities to do it. But today I want to share with you really quickly how you can share your story in five minutes or less and what are the four most important elements of sharing your story in an effective way. So this is going to be about the most practical message you've heard in a while. But I really want you to take what I say and I want you to immediately apply it to your life. But I want to use the example of the Apostle Paul. And in Acts chapter 26 really gives us a great example of Paul literally doing what I'm going to encourage you to do. Now I want to give you the setting of Acts chapter 26. And if you have time, I would also encourage you to read Acts chapter 22. Um, because in Acts 22, Paul does the exact same thing again. So Paul was literally just looking for opportunities to share his story. He embraced his journey and he looked for those chances to share his story. But what we know about Paul is that Paul at one time was public enemy number one for Christians. But in the middle of Paul persecuting Christians, he gets radically saved. He encounters Jesus. It's completely undeniable that God has rocked his world, shaken it to the foundation, completely changed his life. And in that moment, God called Paul to minister to a group of people called the Gentiles. Basically, up to this point in time, the gospel had pretty much stayed within the Jewish people and in the nation of Israel. But God called Paul specifically uh, to reach out to Rome and Greece and in these faraway countries to this group of people and these other groups of people that had never heard about the gospel before. That was Paul. 
So Paul goes out and he begins to do his ministry. And I'm telling you, people are getting saved like crazy. Sorry, I got to tape this thing on my head. Um, They are uh, thousands of Gentiles are getting saved. And after a while, he decides he wants to go back to Jerusalem and he wants to meet with the disciples and he wants to update the disciples on the great things that God is doing to the Gentiles. So he travels all the way back to Jerusalem and he meets with the disciples and he said, you guys wouldn't believe it. Gentiles are getting saved by the thousands. And the Bible tells us that in Acts 21 that the, the disciples celebrated what God was doing. But they had one major challenge, and we've alluded to this over the last several weeks, that to a good Jewish person, they didn't just have 10 commandments. They had about 600 Levitical laws that they were trying to adhere to. So what became complicated for them is Jesus comes, becomes the fulfillment of the law, but they grew up in this highly religious culture where at the same time as good Jewish people, they're trying to abide by the law in the freedom that is Jesus. So to a Jewish Christian in the first century, they were still abiding by all the Levitical law and serving Jesus simultaneously. They were, they were doing both. But their complicated point was, here are these Gentiles that didn't grow up with this religion, didn't grow up with this belief system, but now they're getting saved by the thousands. So how do you take these Gentiles who have no religious upbringing whatsoever and all of a sudden expect that they are going to live according to 600 individual Levitical laws? Well, literally, it was too much of a burden. They couldn't handle it. So Paul kept appealing for them to make it easier for these Gentile believers to be a part of the faith. And at this meeting, they share with Paul what is expected of the Gentiles. And they basically sum it down to two things. They say, out of all of the concerns that we have, really, there's two things that I think you need to disciple the Gentiles to adhere to. He said, number one, they need to stop worshiping idols. Like, no more idol worship. You can't worship idols and worship Jesus. So no more idol worship. I think we'd all agree when somebody first gets saved, we should teach them to not also worship Baal at the same time. Just worship Jesus. And then they said, and number two, teach them to not practice sexual immorality. So they said, not only should they not worship idols, but we also believe that they they shouldn't commit sexual immorality. So that was the context of this meeting in Jerusalem. So everything went well. So then Paul and the disciples go to the temple to worship. And at the temple, a huge crowd was stirred up against Paul. In fact, they assault Paul. They begin to beat Paul. The Roman guard comes in, closes down the temple. The people stop beating Paul, but they arrest Paul, the Roman guards, because they are convinced that that Paul uh, must be this Egyptian usurper that they'd heard about. So they actually made a mistake when they hired Paul. They thought he was somebody that he wasn't. But they knew that the Jews were in an absolute uproar over this guy, so they arrested him. And in Acts chapter 22, as Paul is being drug away, he's got this huge crowd of people, and he takes that moment as an opportunity to not only embrace his journey, but share his story. He shares his testimony. Well, Paul ends up arrested. As the story goes, uh, he appeals as a Roman citizen to Rome, and so he gets, uh, his arrest goes all the way to Caesar. And where Acts 26, which is what I want to highlight today, takes from, Paul has been in prison for about three years, 
in Caesarea. So Caesarea is a port city uh, where basically Israelites would travel by boat to Rome. But he's locked in this port city in Israel for about three years. And while he's there, he's taken every opportunity he can to share his story. And Acts chapter 26 actually begins where King Agrippa comes to Paul and uh, wants to hear all of this about Paul. So Paul uses his imprisonment as an opportunity to testify about Jesus. So today I want to talk to you about the four elements that are key in sharing your story. Number one, you need to tell people about your life before you knew Jesus. So what does Paul do? Uh, Acts 26, verse 4. So he's meeting before King Agrippa, and he, sa- he starts saying, he says, the manner of my life from my youth. He said, I spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem. It was known by all the Jews that um, they have known for a long time that if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And he said, and now here I stand on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. So the first thing he does is he said, before I knew Jesus, I was raised as a Pharisee. Now I adhered to the law in the strictest point possible. I want you to notice something here that when Paul shared his story, he didn't glorify his past. I think sometimes when people talk about their life before Jesus, they forget that when you share your story, Jesus is the hero of your story. That what people want to do is they want to highlight how terrible they used to be or how horrible their life used to be. But Paul just simply says, before I knew Jesus, I was a Pharisee. Before I knew Jesus, I followed the law as strictly as you possibly could. He even goes on and he says, Verse 9, he said, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things to those uh, opposed, that I ought to do many things to oppose the name of Jesus. And he said, I did it in Jerusalem. He said, I not only locked up all of these Christians in prison, he said, but when they were put to death, I cast a vote against them. So Paul said, I was a Pharisee. I used to be totally against all of these Jesus fanatics. So much so that I had them arrested when they were put to death. I was in support of that. That is who I was before Jesus. First thing you need to do is you need to talk about who you were before Jesus. Many of you have heard me say that I talk about how I believe every person has this hole in their life. That they are trying to fill with all of these things that makes them feel full and for me that was me is that I I wasn't a bad person I'm the kid that never did drugs I've never drank I've never smoked a cigarette I got married a virgin but I didn't get saved until I was a high school sophomore I had no connection with church now I wasn't a hoodlum I wasn't a gangster I wasn't a drug addict anything I was just a average, everyday, good kid that knew something was missing from his life. I just knew that there was emptiness in my life, and I tried everything I could to figure out what I was missing. And then at just the right moment, 
Jesus intersected my life. Some of you have heard me share this story many times. What you need to do when it comes to talking about your past is remember that Jesus is the hero of the story. You don't need to exaggerate. You don't need to make yourself worse than you actually were. You just be honest. And you be honest about your story. You embrace your journey. You share your story. And you will be shocked at how much that will relate to other people. The second thing we learn from Paul here in sharing our story is that not only do you talk about life before Jesus, but you tell people how you encountered Jesus. It's really cool to realize that every one of us that is a follower of Jesus, that at this certain moment, Jesus intersected with our life. And it always seems that it happened suddenly and it happened just at the right moment, what we needed. So Paul tells this story to Agrippa in verse 12. He basically tells him, he said, I was on my way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He said, but on the road to Damascus, I saw this huge bright light and I was blinded by it. And he said, and everyone around me saw this bright light too. But in the middle of this bright light, I heard a voice that said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? And Paul was like, uh, voice in the light, who are you? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. So Paul goes on and he tells this story about how he ends up in Damascus at a guy by the name of Ananias' house. And in that moment, Ananias prays for him. Paul receives his sight again. And Ananias was the key critical person that God used to share this story that really changed his life. So I think you need to realize this, that you never know who God's going to bring into your life. You never know if the person that you are about to share your story with could become the next Paul. So that's why you need to look for opportunities to embrace your journey, share your story, because you never know who it could be. Here's Paul, who was public enemy number one for Christians. He ends up in the home of a believer, Ananias, and he's looking for answers. And at that moment, God used an encounter with Jesus and a human being. Both of those people, their lives intersected Paul at just the right moment. And it was critical for Paul finding faith in Jesus. You need to be able to tell the story about how you encountered Jesus. Church, you need to be able to read the room, though. Like, you can't get all preachy. You can't belabor this point. You need to understand your audience. When uh, people see my tattoos and they ask about it, they're, they're not wanting me to give a 20-minute testimony. So in that moment, I will quickly assess what I want to share to that person. And as I get to know them better, I'll probably share more and more and more. But you need to be able to talk about your life before Jesus. Then you need to be able to talk about how you encountered Jesus. And then number three, you need to talk about how your life is changed since Jesus entered into it. So what does Paul tell King Agrippa, verse 16? He says to him, um, he says, he's talking about this encounter that he has with Jesus, and he says, rise to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose 
to appoint you as a service and a witness to the things in which you've seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. Basically says, Paul, your destiny and purpose has changed. You were a teacher, a tent maker, a rabbi beforehand. He said, now, Paul, I have called you to be a witness of all of the things I've done. I want you to go to people that have never heard about me before. You boldly stand up and proclaim that I changed your life in front of all of these people. Paul, literally, your job, share your story over and over and over again. I can't even imagine, you know, Scripture has about eight different times that Paul shared his journey and encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, but I bet he shared it 8,000 times. Over and over again, he looked for opportunities to share his story. Literally, Jesus changed the entire course of his life. Now, I will tell you what happened to me. Now, I was that kid that wondered, what is this life all about? Something's missing in my life. And all of a sudden, I commit my life to Christ, get called into ministry, and I will tell you, beyond anything, for all the ups and downs, good, bad, challenges, victories of my life, there has been one constant since I've known Jesus. I know that I have hope for my future. So I don't look at the future depressed and think it's bad news. I always have good news for the future. The coolest thing for me since I found Jesus is that ever since, my life has had purpose. I mean, I have total meaning. I get up every single day, look myself in the mirror, and say, you exist for a reason. You are not here by accident. God created you for a purpose. You have a destiny. And so when I talk to people and I share my journey, that's what I say to them. I say, what I found in Jesus was hope for the future and the realization that I was not some cosmic freak accident where two particles collided in together, caused a big boom, and eventually there was an amoeba that turned into a fish and then a lizard and then a monkey and then eventually me, that I was, for all intents and purposes, some cosmic accident that someday I would die and rot in my grave. That is not the way that I think. I I know that I was known by God before I was born. That the moment I was born, he knew the number of hair on my head. That I have a purpose and a destiny. And so you live life believing. You have this extraordinary value. Do you realize that is the hope that you have to offer people? That when you tell people your story, you embrace your journey... You are telling people that they are greatly loved and that they have extraordinary value in the eyes of Jesus, that they were created with a destiny and a purpose. You can do nothing if you believe that other than live a life with hope. Now, I'll tell you, with Jesus, your life still has challenges. I mean, there's days, and you've heard me joke before, I've had an entire year that I called the year of suck. But in the end, you know it's a chapter. You know that it's going to pass because in the end, to live is Christ, to die is gain, that you have hope for your future. So number one, you uh, talk about your life before Jesus. Number two, you talk about how you encountered Jesus. Number three, in your story, you talk about uh, life after Jesus. 
in it. And then number four, I, I really encourage you, whenever you share your story, you have to have the courage to make the big ask. I think Paul did it best, especially in Acts chapter 26. It came to this point, verse 24, that as Paul is sharing, um, King Festus, who was overseeing that region and invited Agrippa in, looks at Paul and said, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Paul, you've gone crazy. You've gone mad. And in the middle of this, Paul just simply looks at Festus and he says, "Um, I'm actually not crazy. And he turns the whole attention to who he was addressing his testimony to, his story to, Agrippa. And he looks at King Agrippa and he says this. He said, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He said, all of this stuff I've talked about, Festus might not get it, but I know you get it. And he said, I know you believe the prophets. Literally, Paul is in prison addressing the king, shares his testimony, and asks him if he wants to be a follower of Jesus in that moment. That is called the big ask. And then eventually, King Agrippa responds and he says, Do you really believe that in a short period of time you could persuade me to be a Christian? And then Paul answers him by saying what, by the way, should be mine and your desire. Whenever we see any human being anywhere, we should believe what Paul is saying. Paul says this, he said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am. Literally, he said, you know, my my goal is that every single person hearing me share my story, whenever I share it, that they would become a Christian. And that is because my life is filled with hope and joy, and I know yours is missing it. So not only do you share your story, but you eventually need to be willing to make the big ask. Like what God will do is God will uniquely bring people into your life like he brought Paul into Ananias' life. And you need to be willing in that moment to make the ask. And the ask might be simple. It might be, can I pray for you? The ask might be as simple as, hey, you should check out our church, canyoncreek.church, listen to one of our podcasts. Or the, the ask might be, do you want to receive Jesus right now in this moment? But you need to not only share your story, but be willing to make the big ask. I had uh, a guy in our church was telling me about an encounter he had with someone at work recently and how this person at work was just really broken and desperate. And he said in that moment, he shared his testimony. And at the end of it, the guy is so moved, he had to do something. And so his big ask was, why don't you come with me, sit by me at church next week? Then he follows up with saying, Brandon, I'll introduce you to him on Sunday and things like that. You, you have to make the big ask in addition. You believe this, though, in the end. It's your journey. Embrace it. It's your story. You were born to tell your story. And you believe this about your story. Not only do I believe that every person is created with this vacuum in their soul, this hole in their heart that, need, that needs to be filled and can only be filled by Jesus, but I also believe that when I talk about Jesus, those words are anointed. 
when you share your story, if it's your story, it is anointed. And I've told you many times what an anointing from Jesus is. Anointing is supernatural favor for an ordinary task. When you share the story of your life, God sprinkles anointing on it. Your story hits people. It impacts people. It moves people. Why? Because it's your story. And when you share your story, God anoints your story. I close just by reading 1 Peter 3.15 again. Just to remind you what Peter said. Peter said, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Literally, Peter is saying, Always look for opportunities to share your story. Do it with love, but embrace your journey. Share your story. Share your good news. You were born for this.